25 years ago, my husband Paul and I moved into our current home. It was brand new, and we had spent many weeks and months putting in hard work, doing a certain amount of the construction ourselves. A couple of weekends after we finished placing the furniture and unpacking most of the boxes, I took a book and a lawn chair outside, anticipating an enjoyable afternoon relaxing in the sunshine in my own backyard. After only a few minutes, I became very aware that although the inside of the house might be complete, there was much that still needed to be done to the outside. Somehow in my head, I had imagined that a lovely park-like setting awaited me outside the back door, rather than remembering that our yard was only a dry, dusty lot with scrubby patches of grass and weeds, no trees, no shrubs, no flowers, no shade of any kind only unrelenting sun beating down that quickly threatened to burn my very pale skin. After only a few minutes, I fled back inside to escape the heat, pulled out some gardening books and a notepad, and sat down with Paul to begin making plans to add landscape around our house. Although Paul and I had some skills and knowledge in residential construction, neither of us knew much about plants or trees with the exception of my proven ability to kill just about every houseplant that I'd ever owned. As a result, the next several weeks and months and years involved a lot of trial and error as we purchased trees and shrubs and plants, dug holes in the red clay, and found hundreds of rocks in the process. We planted, we watered, we spread mulch, we dug up plants that didn't survive, which were many. We replaced them with new plants, watched other ones grow, and repeated the cycle over and over again for years. Where there was once a barren, dry, inhospitable lot, there is now a yard filled with many tall trees and green and flowering shrubs that attract birds of all kinds, squirrels, and a rabbit or two, while also providing a shady place to rest. As much as I'd like to claim that during this process I've developed two green thumbs and confidence in gardening, every time I plant anything, I fully expect it to wither because I've put it in the wrong place, or to turn yellow because I've watered it too much or too little, or that it'll be eaten by snails or beetles, or it will otherwise disappoint by not growing into what the picture on the tag looked like at the nursery. If you looked at our yard today, you might notice all of the green and growing things and maybe even be a little impressed by our landscaping skills. But the fact is, I still don't really understand why the plants that have grown have survived, while others, like several dogwoods, two beautiful ornamental maple trees, some azaleas, and other bushes and shrubs, too numerous to count, well, they didn't last despite our best efforts. I think that's why my immediate reaction is negative whenever I hear one of Jesus' parables about seeds and growing things. The intent might be to encourage or comfort listeners to think of God's kingdom like planted seeds growing into lush, protective vegetation. But my overall success with planting is sketchy at best, involving a lot of disappointment and frustration, starting over and not so patient waits. 
Even when I've tried my hardest to make something grow, it's as likely as not that nothing will happen and my efforts will have been wasted. Why would I want to think of God's kingdom like a seed? I'm more comfortable with holy images of rocks or strongholds or even castles or cornerstones. Those seem more reliable, less prone to change, more certain than unpredictable seeds whose survival depends on so many different things, much that cannot be controlled. How can we be expected to put our trust in a seed? Today is the third Sunday after Pentecost, very early in a long stretch of Sundays that are sometimes referred to collectively as a green and growing season. Green can be seen in the vestments and altar hangings, which will stay the same every Sunday from now until mid-November. Normally, this is a time when activities at Christ Church start to slow down after a busier time filled with Sunday school classes, special Holy Week services, the bishop's visit, and all types of program year-ending celebrations. This year, the season is different. Instead of slowing down, things have picked up. After a long period of the pews being empty, the halls here being quiet, no shared Eucharist, celebrations delayed, and many of our outreach efforts put on hold, this start of this green and growing season is filled with new life as people return to worship in the pews, Eucharist is again shared, conversations and connections are made around coffee and donuts, more outreach programs restart, and corporate celebrations are added, including the one this morning celebrating the 2021 and the 2020 graduates of Education for Ministry. It is not difficult to see green shoots continue to grow and all around. But as these green shoots continue to grow and ripen, they probably will look different from what we expect. How we worship as a community has changed. Not every familiar face will return to these pews. People who have never worshiped here prior to the pandemic are finding this a good place to say their prayers. Many others will continue to join worship services online, people who are physically near and those who live far away. Conversations and connections will still occur, but these relationships won't only be built in Surface Hall and won't only include those we already know. Although we are again celebrating Eucharist, we are currently receiving bread only, and we don't now know when the common cup will return or if sharing the wine will be done differently when it does. As existing outreach ministries rebuild connections with our neighbors, it may be necessary to reimagine and renew efforts to address those challenges and struggles that have changed in the last year and a half. Other new ministries may emerge during this growing time and different people might find new ways to use their gifts. This can be an exciting time, but it can also bring disappointment and anxiety if we hold too tightly to reclaiming what was instead of looking ahead to what will be. This morning we heard one of the passages of scripture that truly makes my heart glad with its excitement and optimism 
when Paul writes of living a new life in Christ. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Paul's optimism and energy around this transformation fills these words. But the reality is that the idea of sweeping change can be a scary proposition. Most of us are okay with some changes, but we like to decide which ones they are and how they happen. Being fully open to everything becoming new isn't something that even the most daring and trusting among us can do easily. Embracing this kind of transformation, however, is what Paul does after he encounters Christ and he implores others to do the same. Paul's whole world is turned completely upside down when he lets Jesus into his life, turning away from attitudes and actions as a persecutor of and toward the good news that Jesus shares. For Paul, it is not hyperbole to say that everything becomes new when he chooses to leave his old life behind to follow Jesus. Now, I don't think there are many of us being called to leave quite as much behind as Paul is, but I am certain that every one of us struggles with holding on to attitudes and actions that keep us and others around us from welcoming the joy of the new creation that Jesus offers. I also know that as a church, there are ample opportunities we have to move ahead in unfamiliar and unpredictable ways outside our comfort zones, to take part in what our prayer book says is the mission of the church, to restore all people to unity with God and to each other in Christ. In this world filled with so much division and hatred and anger, all people being restored to God and to each other certainly sounds like something completely new and something worthy of great celebration. It also sounds completely impossible to achieve. Where do we even start? How can what we do possibly make a difference? This is where we can circle back to those seed parables that Jesus tells. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like planting seeds and then sleeping and waking and sleeping and waking, seeing the seeds grow and sprout, who knows how, until they ripen. It's like the tiniest little mustard seed no better than a weed and not much more than a speck, growing into a large shrub that can provide shelter and safety for nesting birds. How do the seeds grow? How can a mustard seed grow into something impossibly large? Who knows how to do this? We don't have to know how to make the impossible happen. We are promised that God knows how. It is our work to generously plant seeds, to walk by faith and not only by sight, to pay attention to how and where the seeds sprout and flourish, and to rejoice and to give thanks for everywhere God's new creation grows. 
kind of seed. We don't know today exactly how we will go about planting new seeds or what kind of seeds they will be. But we should be looking for our opportunities. And they will most likely be where there is hurt and brokenness and division, where healing and reconciliation and love is needed. May we all be ready seed planters, confident in God's ability to make gloriously impossible things grow. And may all people be able to rejoice in this new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Thanks be to God. Amen.